And Father, we come before you this morning, Lord, because we love you and we want to be loved by you. Father, we know that you love us no matter what we do. That, Lord, irregardless of the life that we've led, irregardless of the things that we do, that you are passionately in love with us, but you you expect us to come and meet you, Father. Lord, that it's not enough for us to talk about your love, but it is also important that we talk about our need to seek forgiveness for the things that we've done wrong. Father, that even though you love us, that we stand apart from you when we make mistakes, when we sin, when we're easily led astray and entangled by our own desires and our own selfishness. So, Father, we're just going to take a moment this morning, Lord, and we're just going to take a moment and just go to you and ask for forgiveness for anything in our lives that doesn't need to be there, any sin, any struggle, any brokenness, any selfishness. Lord, we're just going to go to you asking forgiveness. Father, forgive us, Lord, of those things so that today we can come and worship you, Lord, that we can experience your love and your power renewed in our lives. Father, we pray that today would be a turning point in our lives, Lord, that what was the past would be the past, but today would be the day that we would desire to take upon your godliness, your righteousness in our lives. That, Father, when we wake up in the morning, that we would say, how do you want me to live, God? Father, we pray today would be the first day of a continuing journey in that path. Lord, we pray and we thank you this morning for giving us the ability to love you, the ability to love others. And Father, we just pray this morning that you would send your Holy Spirit to guide and direct our lives, to push us in the right direction, to encourage us when we need encouragement, to live our lives according to you. Lord, we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pop. Break? Got rejected from Stanford. Oh. Oh, Sean. Oh, baby, I'm sorry. It's okay. I'm so sorry. <laughs> You're just gonna have to go somewhere closer to home. That's all. And you get to keep living here with Lance and Bob. Today has Okay, and are you a student here? Yes, I'm a student here. I'm Sean Brumner. I'm the class president. And you didn't get into Stanford? Too bad. Tough break. Where else did you apply? Nowhere. You told me I was a shoe-in. Nowhere? Not even a safety school? You said shoe-in. Let's calm down. All right, we see here the evidence of bad advice, right? The guy goes to his uh, guidance counselor in school, and he's got great grades, and um, class president and all that sort of thing, and the guidance counselor said, don't worry about it, just apply to Stanford, you'll get in, you're a shoe-in, no big deal, right? And of course, because of the comedy of the movie, right, he, uh, he doesn't get in because some other guy, they missed up the, mixed up the transcripts, but the thing is, is that 
a lot of times as we go through life, we hear bad advice, right? I mean, we hear lots of ideas that people tell us that maybe aren't so good or aren't um, so wise. Well, today we're going to talk about this as we continue our series on communication. And then in this movie clip, we see the result of bad advice. When people give us bad advice, does it turn out good? Does it turn out well? No, right? If people give us bad advice and we follow it, it doesn't turn out well. But we're going to talk about that in a little bit more depth this morning because we're going to find out from Proverbs that it's not so much about the bad advice, but it's where the bad advice comes from and how we as the people of God are called to live differently in how we communicate. Well, the, the series that we're doing is the double-edged sword. Um, we've been talking about this last week, this week, and we'll be talking about it for the next two weeks as well. Um, our four-week series is the good, the bad, and the ugly of our mouths, right? We talked a lot about the fact that um, the Bible spends an inordinate amount of time on how we communicate. Why is that? Why does the Bible spend more time on how we communicate than, say, heaven or hell? Which you would think would be a topic the Bible would consider. Well, it considers how we communicate to be much more significant, at least for us today, because it's something that's paramount to our existence, right? We go through our world and we communicate. We communicate with our spouses. We communicate with our bosses. We communicate with our kids. We communicate with our friends. We even have to communicate with our bill people that we owe money to, um, the, the bill companies, the PG&E, the IRS, all those things, right? We communicate on a day-to-day -day basis all day long. And the problem is, is that when we have conflicts in our lives, conflicts almost always come in because of what? Because of bad communication, right? I thought this person said this. I heard you saying that, right? We talk and talk and talk as we talked last week, right? But yet the challenge is for us to be able to communicate in a wise and godly manner. The Bible says this. The tongue, this is in Proverbs 18, the tongue can bring death or life. Those who love to talk will reap the consequences, right? That's why we named it the double-edged sword, because the tongue, our mouths, according to the Bible, has the power to do what? Bring death and also bring life, right? It can do either one. You know, uh, at, we at BBC, um, if you haven't had a chance to read our value statement, you should definitely do that, because our values are really critical to what we want to be as a church, right? And if you read them, you'll see number one is Jesus comes first, right? That our relationship with him is first. The Bible is a roadmap to life. Stuff like that, right? But if you go down to 10 or 11 or 12, right, you'll see that communication is one of our most critical values. Why is that, right? Well, it's because, again, that when people get into debates and arguments and fights at church, it oftentimes it's over communication. No one comes to me um, and says, hey, my marriage is falling apart and their communication is wonderful, right? It doesn't happen. No one comes to me and says, hey, my kids won't listen to me at all, and their communication is sterling and wonderful, right? No one says that. Why? Because communication is absolutely critical to us living in our world today. All right. Um, our strategy is this. Last week, we talked about finding the right words, right? And we talked about the fact that as we go through life, that what words we choose will make a huge difference on how we communicate. Um, a lot of times we talked last week, we're tempted to have the last word. We're tempted to make sure that we get our two cents in, right? Our culture says make sure you get your two cents worth in, and we're tempted to do that. But the Bible says be quiet sometimes because when you add a lot of extra words, you're just adding more rope to hang yourself with. 
right? And we talked a lot about that last week, about how we find the right words. If you weren't here, check it out on the podcast. All right, today um, we're going to talk about speaking wisely, because a big part of communication is to be able to speak wisely, and to speak with wisdom, and to be able to speak in a way that will help people around them, right? I mean, if, if, if you claim that you are a follower of Jesus, and you claim that you go to Berryessa Valley Church, and you go to work on Monday, I want for you to give good and helpful advice when people ask, right? I want you to be able to speak words of wisdom and not crazy things to people out there, right? Why? Because when we speak, we represent who? Jesus, right? I mean, when we speak, we're representing him because the people at work, the people that know us, hopefully they understand or they know if we're not been hiding it, that we are a follower of Jesus, right? And so when we speak, we represent him. Let's talk about this. We're going to see what the Bible says in Proverbs um, chapter 10. We're staying in Proverbs chapter 10 this week also, looking at verse 13 and then 31 and 32. Um, 13 and 31, 32. If you want to turn to your Bibles, here, here's the cool thing about this morning also. It's going to be very simple. It's a very simple passage also. You'll get it right away, then we'll talk about it. All right, let's see what it says. Here's Proverbs 10. Um, wise words come from the lips of people with understanding, but those lacking sense will be beaten with a rod. Hey, how many of you want to be found lacking sense when you stand before God, right? Not me, okay. Uh, the, by the way, the beatings um, are metaphorical. They talk about it's not literally going to be beat by a rod. It just means that when you, when you demonstrate a lot of lack of knowledge, it's going to catch up to you at some point. We're going to talk about that. The mouth of the godly person gives wise advice, but the tongue that deceives will be cut off. The lips of the godly speak helpful words, but the mouth of the wicked speaks perverse words. Now, we're going to talk about that because that's also really critical here. All right, let's, let's move on down this. Three ideas um, this morning. If you want to follow along in your handout that's in your bulletin, you're welcome to do that if you like to fill in the blanks. First thing is that we're going to talk about is that we must be wise to speak wisely. That we must be wise to speak wisely. Let's look at verse 13 again. Wise words come from the lips of people with understanding, but those lacking sense will be beaten with a rod. Now, here's the interesting thing. If you come in, you've never been in church before, right? You come in and you're like, hmm, we must be wise to speak wisely. Well, that kind of makes sense, right? That's like we must be funny to be funny or something like that, right? I mean, it would make sense. But the problem is, is that a lot of people in our world claim to speak with wisdom without being wise. And in fact, I would argue that anyone, well, let's just say it like this. How many of you, without raise, don't raise your hands, just raise your hand, don't raise your hand. And I know uh, some of you will be honest and you may say no, but if I could sample San Jose, it'd be even more accurate. How many of you consider yourself to be wise? Well, I'm sure all of you are like, yeah, I can be wise. Yeah, that's me, right? That's me. Right? But the problem is that we're all not wise, right? Um, like we're all not funny. I'm not funny. I know that, okay? And so what happens is, is that we meet a lot of people who will claim wisdom and talk about wisdom, but the problem is to actually be wise and to speak wisely, really, which is our issue here, the communication part, requires us to actually have wisdom. So let's talk about that because this is going to be a big issue. If we want to communicate wisely, we want to communicate in a way that will help people. Many people claim wisdom but are not necessarily wise. I mean, there's a whole cottage industry out there. If you've ever been to Barnes Noble or if you ever turn on daytime TV or probably any TV, um, everything from HGTV to 
uh, the, the channel that has all the, the tools and all that sort of thing on it. There's so much knowledge out there, maybe wisdom, that we can turn on to, that we can go read about. But the problem is so much of that is self-promotional wisdom or self-gratifying knowledge than it is necessarily things that will be true or that will be real wisdom. Many people claim wisdom but are not wise. How many of you have someone in your life who likes to think of themselves just straight out, flat out, wise is one of the words they use to describe themselves? I do. I have someone who's older, and they consider themselves the wise, I won't say matriarch or patriarch, but wise matriarch or patriarch, either or, <laughs> keep it that way, in my family, um, in my extended family, who consider themselves the wise matriarch or patriarch of the family, right? And, and they don't understand why other people don't listen to them. I know why. It's because they're not wise. They're older, but they're not wise, right? Which is why when they give suggestions, those suggestions are often strange, unusual, and to my mind, a little bit kooky, right? But here's the thing. It's even more than that. The problem is in our world, let me give you two examples of the problems in our world. First problem is, is that um, being an author and, and, and being out there and doing some, some cool stuff like that, I, I know very well that a lot about the way the world and our culture presents wisdom is what? Is marketing. That's what it is. It's self-promotion, right? So, I mean, I could, seriously, I could write a book on how, um, you know, to get in touch with our inner child, we have to, you know, walk to the Himalayas, and we have to do this, and we have to do that, right? And I could, with a little bit of marketing and the, and the right greasing of the wheels, um, I could get on Oprah, and then it would be on the Oprah Book Club, and then everyone would think that I was a guru myself. That's the way it works, right? And, and the problem is, is that we as people, we hear this communication coming to us all the time, right? We hear people speak to us, not just people on TV, but also at work and, and in our families with our friends. And they speak to us as if they have wisdom or in their own mind they're convinced that they have wisdom. But the problem is, is that where does wisdom come from? Many people claim to have wisdom, but that's not the case. Listen, I found a guru. I, always, I love, I got a whole collection of guru photos, right? And you know what? I'm going to tell you right now that that's probably, I'll never do that. Um, I'm sure that is very difficult to do, right? The strength and conditioning through yoga to do that. And he's a guru to Hollywood and he's a guru to some Fortune 500 companies and he advises them on wisdom, right? But here's the thing. If being wise is about being able to use your muscles, then Arnold Schwarzenegger would be the wisest man on this planet. Now, that was a joke. Regardless of how you think about Arnold, I don't think anyone's going to make him the wisest person on the planet, right? So strength condition is not it. Being able to write a book is not it. Being able to promote yourself is not it. What does the Bible say is really the source of wisdom? True wisdom comes only from God. The Bible says that when we look for wisdom, that real wisdom, true wisdom only comes from God. And you know what? There are people, I, want to, I usually put up Deepak Chopra up there instead of that guy, but there are people in this world who are not famous, not wealthy, um, no one knows, you know, they're just small-time people, but are far more wise than any of the people on Oprah Book Club, maybe combined. Why? Because their source of wisdom is not their own reason or not their own sense of what is fair and right and just, but their source of wisdom is what? sitting at the foot of the real master, which is God himself, right? 
studying the Word, allowing the Holy Spirit to illuminate to them, looking for other people who also are connected to God and learning from them. All those things are the things that make a person wise. Again, um, the Proverbs spends a lot of time on this. We're not going to do this today. When I was writing this message, I thought, you know, we haven't done a wisdom series. That would be really cool. Um, maybe not like an Easter series, but we should do a series on wisdom, what it means to gain wisdom. Um, I think that would be like a really cool idea. But he- here's the thing again. The Bible says, peop- uh, wait, yeah, people, no, 13. Wise words come from the lips of people with understanding. The biblical idea of understanding here is not knowledge. It's not like we go to Wikipedia and learn everything that we can on a subject, right? Uh, but is actually us understanding the way the world works through God's point of perspective. Wise words come from the lips of people with understanding, but those lacking sense will be beaten with a rod. Again, the beating idea is a metaphor. It doesn't mean that God's going to beat them or that we should beat them, but it, what it means is at some point in time or another, when, and we're going to talk about it in a second, but some point in time or another, when we, uh, if we are sources of bad wisdom, it's going to catch up to us, right? Uh, you, you know the guys that do the Ponzi schemes like Madoff and those guys that are in the newspapers right now? What happens to them? You can only give really bad advice for so long before the crowd catches up with you, right? And that's what the Bible is talking about here. But true wisdom comes only from God. That if we want to speak with wisdom, we want to speak in a way that will help people, we want to communicate well, it starts with what? Not ourselves. We even talked about this a little bit last week. But it starts by having wisdom from God, from being able to understand Him. Why is that? Well, if you're new to the Christian faith, or maybe you haven't been to BBC very often, let me explain, just, let me just recap this so you'll understand. The thing is, is that when we think of things ourselves, anything that we generate in our own mind, anything that originates in here is flawed, right? Because we cannot perceive anything beyond ourselves. I am married to a wonderful woman. Somebody tell her that after service, okay? But I'm married to a wonderful woman, and I have no idea what she thinks a lot of the time. I mean, I could try to guess what she thinks, but I'm going to be wrong most of the time. I'll just admit it, right? Maybe when I'm 60, I might get to 50-50 and roll and say, no, okay, fine. 20% of the time, I may get it right, maybe. And it'll be by luck, okay? Let's just be honest, right? It'll be by luck. And the reason is, is that as people, the Bible says that we are limited and flawed in our ability to understand anything beyond ourselves, right? And so if we want true understanding, it doesn't come from some magical symbol. It doesn't come from some universal insight. It comes from being knowing and having a relationship with the one person who understands it all, who is God, right? And the more we understand him, the more we know him, then the more we can understand what is true and good and right in our world. So the more I understand the way God designed the world to be, and the more I sort of gain insight and wisdom into his plan for my life, the more effective I become at being able to communicate with others, and the more effective I be able to come, I'm able to, the more effective I am able to be at communicating with my wife. So, because I want to communicate in a way that's wise and helpful. All right, so here's the thing. We need to start there. Now, let me say this, because some of you are going to say at this point, come on, hope, faith, love, now wisdom, does everything good come from God? Yeah, it sort of does, right? I mean, I stand up here week to week, and I'm like, true hope only comes from God. True love only comes from God. True wisdom only comes from God. What? You know, yes, that's sort of the way, the way the Bible presents it, right? Because everything that is good comes from God, right? So we would not be surprised, we should not be surprised, that true wisdom only comes from God. That our understanding and our ability to be wise is, only, is very limited to the very, very limited experiences that we've had here on earth. We cannot be 
as wise as someone. No matter how much we self-promote or how much we think of ourselves, we'll never be as wise as someone who has sit at the foot of the real master who is God himself through Jesus his son. All right, so the Bible says this, uh, Proverbs 2, For the Lord grants wisdom. He gives it. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He grants a treasure of common sense to the honest, right? So just using every imagery, every idea for good thinking, right, and then good communication, it comes from the Lord, not comes from any other place. Now, let me, let me just mention this, because some of you ask. This doesn't mean, some of you say, what about like oh, someone that you know is wise and they don't believe in the Lord? Well, it doesn't mean that, that we cannot possess some wisdom outside of God. It doesn't mean, for example, that an atheist can't possess some wisdom. We could find a very wise atheist. There's no doubt about it. Although, I would argue that believing that we turn into uh, worm food when we die is not the wisest of positions on whether God exists or not exists. Because if you're going to believe, if you're going to have a position, you might as well be pro. There's no advantage to being con. There's no advantage to being against God. So we would, I would really question the wisdom of an atheist on that point. But it doesn't mean that we will not gain some insight and some wisdom. Look, if we go through this life for 60 or 70 years, I hope that all of us, without, even without Christ, would gain a little bit of wisdom. But the problem is the little bit is just way too little for those of us who are, want to be followers of Jesus. And just in general, those of us who want to communicate well, right? I mean, do we want to hit the mark one out of ten times when we communicate to our friends and family? Well, the Bible says we don't have to, you know, that we can be very good at how we speak and how we communicate. As we talked about last week, we can be very precise as Jesus was, right? But it requires us to have, what, the heart after God and to be wanting to be a wise person. Why? Not because we self-promote, but because we go to the source of wisdom in our world who is God. Two ideas here. Now, I wanted to do this because Proverbs 10, I need to be fair to the text. The text comes first, the Bible comes first, right? Not the, not, not the points in my sermon. Okay, and so the thing is, is that 31 and 32 are definitely about how we communicate. No doubt about it. But they really are, the primary thing in 31 32 is the heart of the person who communicates. Okay, so that's the reason why it may seem a little bit weird the way I set up these two points, uh, point two and point three. But it's because the point, the central idea of 31 and 32 is a couplet talking about how the heart of the person affects the way they communicate, which is something we talked about and introduced last week. Okay, we must be godly, and if so, our words will help, right? The Bible says here in 31, 32, the mouth of the godly person gives wise advice, and it goes on, the lips of the godly speak helpful words, right? And if you see 31 and 32, they sound kind of similar, and that's why in the original text, they're basically very similar. It's like this, but this. This, same thing, but this. Why? It's trying to reinforce this contrast between the way wise, godly people communicate and the way that unwise, ungodly people communicate. So the Bible is calling us, if we want to communicate well, if we don't want to live in a double-edged sword world, right, where we never know what's going to come out of our tongue, what's going to come out of our mouth, will it hurt, will it help, we don't know. It starts with our heart. It starts with knowing God, having deeper relationship with Him. We must be godly, and our words will help um, if we are, in that case, godly. Good advice and help should grow out of our good heart, right? I mean, if we are seeking after the Lord and we are following Him, it only can be that good things will come of it. It only can be that good words and wisdom, if we are truly seeking after God, 
will come out of our lives. The Bible here talks about the fact that when we are, um, it's alluded to in the original language here by the, the language that the, the Bible uses, um, that when we become godly, that when we seek after the Lord, that these good words flourish out of our lives, that wisdom flourishes out of our lives. So some of you may say, well, pastor, how could I speak wisely? Like, can you give me like a five-step program to speaking wisely or a 10-step, you know, how do I speak wisely? And I would say, well, um, you know, you got to uh, measure your words and you have to, um, you know, you have to uh, make sure that when you speak, you always end with a positive statement, right? But all that would be what? Superficial, wouldn't it? It would be superficial according to the Bible. Why would it be superficial? It would be superficial because you would basically be making something that sounds pretty on the outside cover up something that sounds ugly on the inside. You, you know, um, when someone says to you, because we're talking about communication, someone will say to you, I really like that shirt, Roland. And then what am I going to say? But, well, I won't pick on the shirt. I don't even know what it is. I really like this about you, but, you know, you're a great worker. Like if your boss comes and calls you in your office, and they're like, you know, you've been working so hard, right? And then we're waiting for the but, right? And the problem is, is that when, the, when, when you hear the but, what happens to the, you look awesome, you've been working so hard, I love your shirt, what happens to it? That's right, David. It just goes by the wayside completely, right? It doesn't even matter. It's like you're covering, you're trying to cover up something that's ugly with something pretty, but it don't really last for very long, right? So if I were to sit down and to give you like 10 ways, and I can do it. I mean, you know, uh, uh, you know counseling technique, they say, you know, uh, if you're having an argument, uh, and, and let's say Roland and I'm having a, a debate, and Roland says, I don't like it when you uh, pick on me in church. And I would say, I, what I hear you saying, Roland, is that you don't like for me to pick on you uh, when you're in church. And that way, it established communication. It's a great trick, but it's just a trick, right? Why? Because over time, if we want to communicate better, and when I say it's a trick, I don't want to say, I don't want to make it a negative, but over time, the key issue, if we want to follow after God's own heart and we want to best communicate, it requires a heart change first. That has to come first, right? I can use, all, I mean, sometimes, uh, I probably shouldn't say this, but I'll say in the first service, and I'll think about what I should say in the second or third service. Noel and I both have a lot of psychological training. Okay, we do, just by based on what we do and that sort of thing. And it's easy for us to out-psychologicalize each other, right? But it doesn't get anywhere because if we're just doing it in an underhanded way because we're not getting along, it doesn't go anywhere, right? And so we sound robotic at times. I feel like when we're having a discussion because she'll use a trick and then I'll use a trick and she'll use a trick and I'll use a trick. And like we're getting somewhere, but they're just still superficial because sometimes we don't get to the heart of the matter that way, right? Because we know how to sort of maneuver around each other. All right. Good advice and help grows out of a good heart. Listen, if your heart is good and righteous and pure because God has made it that way, because you've sought after him, then it is natural for the words that come out of your mouth to flourish, is what the Bible says, in a good way. That you cannot help but speak wisely. You cannot help speak with goodness. You cannot help speak with truth. Why? Because your heart is attuned to God. Last week, we talked about this. Would we, exp would we thought, think, if we met Mother Teresa... I know she's passed away, but just to use an example, or Billy Graham, if you want to use that example, if we met them and we just wanted to ask them some advice on anything, 
Couldn't we imagine in our lines, in our in our in our minds, in our, our lives, can we imagine them giving us bad advice? Not really. It'd be hard to imagine Mother Teresa giving bad advice, right? We would think that whatever she, hey, if she was telling me which stocks to buy on uh, NASDAQ, I would do it, right? Because it's Mother Teresa speaking, right? Of course, I'm being silly because, you know, I wouldn't look for stock advice from her. But the thing is, we could not imagine anything bad coming out of her mouth, right? And, and we can't. Why? Because we know that it's not that she is necessarily a source of wisdom first, but we believe that if there's somebody in this world who loves the Lord, then it would probably, that would be a good example. She would be a really good example. Billy Graham might be a really good example for some of us, right? And so the thing is, is that good advice and wisdom, they don't come, they can come a little bit by learning tricks. There's no doubt about that, by learning how to communicate. There's nothing wrong with that. But they don't primarily come from that way. The Bible says they come from our heart being attuned to God. Okay. Uh, I liked what one theologian said who said wise words are commenting on this passage wise words are a natural result of our godliness of our uprightness right they are the natural the, the imagery here in the Proverbs is of a tree that grows right and basically the idea here in the original language is that if our heart like our root system is right then it's going to grow and it's going to flourish that our leaves and our branches will all be words of wise wisdom to people why because our root system and our trunk and our base is attuned to God. That's the imagery here in the original language. All right. Bad words that come from a bad heart in what? Badly, right? This is the idea that Proverbs is saying here. I mentioned this a couple seconds ago. But again, the Bible says things like this, that the, those lacking sense, meaning those without wisdom or those without God's understanding, will be beaten with a rod. Uh, the tongue that deceives will be cut off. The mouth of the wicked speaks perverse words, right? If you speak badly and you speak without wisdom, it's going to catch up to you, right? It's, it's, going to, it's not going to, it's not going to, it's, it's going to be a problem. If you go to work, you go to work, and there's someone at your office who is the gossip, and hopefully, prayerfully, it's not anyone here, but they're the gossip in their workplace, right? Well, how do you feel when you hear them gossiping? right? What do you want to do with someone like that? Do you want to just give them a hug and tell them, you know, I love you, Jesus loves you? Is that what you want to do with someone like that? What do you want to do with someone like that? You want to beat them with a rod, don't you? That's the way I felt. Now, again, the Bible's not saying, this is, this is a metaphor here, it's not saying that it's going to happen, although it is implying that when we give bad advice, it catches up to us, and someone who may be shall we say, short on the fuse and, and not knowing the Lord certainly could beat them in a way, right? Or could gossip against them or could get them fired or whatever the case may be. See, the thing is, is that when we, if we believe in God and we know that there is justice in our world, why? Because God will bring all things to justice, not that there is justice right now at this point in time. But we know that there is a future, or, or, uh, there is a finality of justice in our world, then it's going to catch up to them um, when, they, when they do that. For I would argue that with most people, I mean, there are probably some people who get away with it, but most people who are out there just giving bad advice of the worst magnitude, it, it catches up to them at point, some point in time it does. You cannot live a life um, that is one of deceit and dishonesty and um, just 
bad language, and by bad language I don't mean vulgarity, we'll talk about that in a second, but just speaking words of unwisdom and hate to other people, it's going to catch up with you. It's going to be a problem, um, it's going to be an issue. All right, <clears throat> third idea here real quickly this morning is that we must be godly, no more perverse words, okay? That, so if our heart is attuned to God, then there will be no more perverse words that come out of our mouth. Now, here's the thing. This is going to shock some of you, okay? Um, so we need to be, we're going to try to be real clear here on this. Um, but the thing is, is that when we talk about issues of perverseness or when we see the word moral or perverse or any of these ethical words in the Bible, it is very easy for us to assume certain things about these words, right? Um, some of us were raised, uh, okay, I'll just be honest, I was raised where it was considered unethical, immoral to go to the movies on Sunday, right? But some of you would think, what difference does it make? Sunday, I mean, it's day relaxing, just go to the movies, right? But that's the way I was raised, okay? Now, I'm not saying it's right, I'm not saying it's wrong, but I'm saying that when it comes to issues of ethics, it's a, it's a sticky issue. So we need to be very clear what perverse means, because for some of us, we'll be tempted to jump to a conclusion about what this means. And by the way, some of you will be unsettled by what I'm going to say, but that's okay, we're going to work through it. That if we're going to be godly and we're going to speak with wisdom and helpful way, we cannot speak with perverse words, is what 32 says. Here's the thing, though. In the original language, perverse means a twisting of what is good and what is true. It does not mean vulgarity. Okay. Now, some of you, when you see perverse words, you're thinking vulgar words. So when you go to the mall and you hear the 16-year-old kids with the baggy pants or whatever, they're like, yo, you know, all right, I'm not going to do it. But you know what I mean. When they talk that way, then you're thinking, okay, that's being perverse, right? Well, it may be, but that's not what the Bible's talking about here. And I would argue that we have to be careful with the word vulgarity because even the Bible at times is very, I will not use the word vulgar, but is very colorful in the language it uses. Rex had laughed, but colorful. It is extremely colorful at times in the language it uses to speak truth about what God needs to speak to us, okay? So you can look in Ezekiel and you can look in Hosea you can look throughout a lot of the Bible, and you'll see the Bible uses very colorful language. So the problem is vulgarity and senses of what is right and wrong about the, uh, the level of language is a debate that the Bible is not interested in. But here's the debate the Bible is very intensely interested in, which is perverse language, or the way that the translators chose to use the word perverse, but which it means in the original language a twisting of what is good and true. Let's talk about this. Um, when I go to work. Let's say tomorrow I, I, I work a secular job and I go to work and one of my coworkers comes up to me and says, you know, um, I really, I really like um, this plant that you gave me or that someone else, let me use someone else. I really like this plant that you gave me. You come up to me, say, look, you know, this person gave me a plant. I really like this plant. What do you think? Isn't it cool? And it's like the ugliest plant I've ever seen in my life, Right? So I could be godly, and I could say, well, that's a really cool plant. It's not up to my taste, but I'm really excited that you like it. I think that would be a, a, a fair response. You could say, well, yeah, it's fine, and I think that's an equally fine, okay response in that situation. But what a lot of us, not meaning necessarily hear us, but what a lot of our world are taught or tempted to do is do what? 
you're like, oh, man, that plan is awesome. You know, you should go and get it on a magazine cover. You should get a picture with you. There. Oh, I got my camera here. Stand right here. I'm going to take a picture with you and that plan, and let's send it on to the magazine or do something like that. What are we doing when we say that? Right? We're insulting them, even though they may not necessarily know that they're being insulted. We're giving them bad advice or unhelpful suggestions, even though they may not be aware that we're doing it, and we're taking what? This is really critical, because there's a, there's a nuance in the original language here, that we're taking delight in it. That's what the Bible's talking about when it's this perverse language. Let me give an example um, for those uh, of you that are internet savvy, right? This is an internet troll. Who knows what an internet troll is? Who knows what a troll is? Okay, second service, we're all there, right? Okay, let me explain. Troll, here's what it is. Let's say Dennis um, is a, a troll. So here's what he would do. Instead of working, because, you know, he doesn't work. He'll just go into work, right, sit at the computer, and anytime uh, the Mercury News posts an article about whatever, okay, um, and I'll give some examples in a second, he will go on to the Mercury News, and he'll post hateful uh, incendiary type stuff just to get a rise out of people and take the light in it, right? So like for example, uh, Zondervan, my publisher, had a, 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 they did a Bible thing where they, the, the NIV is the, one of the most popular Bibles in, in Amer English-speaking Bibles, and they went around America and they had like everybody in America write a verse in the Bible, the handwritten verse, and they had people all over the U.S. Um, do it, and then they had this big volume and it's like all these handwritten verses, and some of the people were famous, and some of the people were homeless, and just a wide variety of America, right? And they put it up on the news, uh, the newspaper put it up there, and there's a comment section, right? So the first 50 comments are just totally hate speech about Christianity, right? But it's not a coincidence. So when you read those things, don't be like, you know, how can so many people? No, no, no. It's one or two guys in their pajamas in San Francisco who just, that's what they delight in doing, is taking other people's words and twisting them and making them, and it makes them feel good, right? That's what the Bible talks about as being perverse language. How do we do that, though? Even as Christians, how are we tempted to do that? Well, we're tempted to do that because a lot of times people will come to us for help, and those people are not necessarily the coolest people. They're not necessarily the nicest people. They don't even know how to ask for help. Maybe it's the coworker who's the gossip. They come to you, and you can tell that they really have a need, that there's a really a problem there, and we feel like, aha, now's my chance to do what? Get them, right? But the problem is, is that if our heart is seeking after the Lord, then we won't want to do that, right? We won't, we'll avoid that. We'll cast that out. We'll get rid of that because we want to speak with wisdom and help to those around us, right? Listen, even the gossip at work can be reformed. <laughs> All it takes is the Lord speaking into their lives, becoming a follower of Jesus, and realizing that is wrong. That's not that difficult, friends. It's not that difficult for that to happen, right? And so we want to accelerate that, not hurt that. And we hurt that when we use perverse language to twist and twist and twist and do damage to other people. Listen, when our spouses and us have fights, what do we, what are we tempted to have delight in? Right? Getting the last word in, twisting that word, making sure that when they say something, we use that word against them. That's what the Bible calls perverse language. Now, here's the thing. If you grew up in a church background sort of like me, I'll tell you right now that there were people who attended the church uh, that I went to um, who would have no, who would have a significant problem um, with me using any four-letter word, 
but they may not think anything bad of joking coarsely at someone else's expense. But that's what the Bible is specifically speaking of. Not the four-letter word, but us using words against other people. Think of it this way. If I go out on the hill here, and I use an off-color word just by myself up on the hill, God, God hears me, and I hear me, right? And so there, there, there may be an issue there between me and God. I don't know, because the Bible doesn't speak about it. But you know what? I know that if you go to your work, and you twist the words of people in order to take delight in giving them bad advice, you go home and you do that with your family, with your kids, I know you've got a big problem with the Lord. And I know that you're going to have a lot of problems with your family. And what's it going to do? Your coworkers and your family are going to want to beat you with a rod. That's what they're going to want to do. How does it feel when someone uses your words against you? Twist your words against you. Use them in ways you never intended when you've been in an argument with someone. Makes you mad, right? Makes you want to beat them with a rod, doesn't it? Does me. And that's why the Bible says that if godliness is our heart's desire, and that if we are pursuing the Lord, then our words must dictate where our heart is. That we will not speak, we will not speak with perverseness, with a delight in twisting the words of other people against them, but we will speak in a way that will help build up other people. That's the gist of it right here, Proverbs 10, right? That if we love the Lord, that naturally, not because we do anything, but naturally our words will build people up. But if we are not attuned to God, then our words really are only going to have the power to tear people down. We talked about this last week, right? It's easy to tear down someone with our tongue. That's easy. I can go outside right now and I can give it, I can give Roland what for? No problem. Roland can give it right back to me. He and I can tear each other down all day long and so we're good at it. I'm not saying anything bad about being Roland. I'm just saying that we're all good at it. We can do it, right? But the Bible calls us to something different because when our heart is attuned to God, we don't want to do it. We don't want to speak that way. It bothers us. Our language necessarily changes. Our words are one of the best measures of our heart. See, this is where it gets down to. We talked about this last week. But when we look at our hearts and we look at our lives, when we go to work, when we spend time with our family, when we go to our extended family, the barbecue, the family get-together, do our, our words say to people that we are followers of Jesus? Or do they say that we're in it for ourselves? That's the question. And that's something I can't answer, but you, if you want to be a follower of Jesus, completely and sold out, you have to go home and look in the mirror and have a hard look at your life and the way you speak. And you know what? As I said last week, this is a miserable assignment. If you go, I mean, if you do what I say and you go home and you look in the mirror and you think, this language that I'm using at work, not the vulgarity, but the delight in hurting other people, this has got to end, right? Maybe the vulgarity needs to end too, right? But the delight in hurting other people, this has got to end, right? If, if you go home and do that, it's not fun. That's miserable. That's a hard assignment. That's not something that's going to bring joy to anyone. But it's necessary because getting rid of some of the negative stuff that we picked up over the years from our culture or our families or our workplaces or our jobs, you know what? It needs to go because our heart needs to be attuned first and foremost to God. And then from that point, everything else will follow. If our heart is right, 
if our heart is right, our words must follow. Because the words don't come out of nowhere. They're not beamed into our mouth from outer space. They originate in our heart. Let's pray. Father, I just, uh, we just come before you this morning, Lord. And we just pray for everyone who's in here, Lord. Those that uh, know you, that have relation with you. Those that are still seeking and not sure. Father, I pray that each person in here this morning, that they would focus, refocus their heart on you. Father, that they would look hard in the mirror and they would, they would ask the hard questions of whether they're speaking and communicating in a way that's hurting other people or whether they're communicating and speaking in a way that is, that is, that is helping and building up and encouragement and wisdom and wise. And Father, I just pray this morning that all of us here this morning that would not give up on this. Lord, that we would not go out Monday and speak with perverse language with people that we meet, Father, that we would not take delight in twisting other people's words against them, but Lord, that we would uh, take hold and take heart of you in our lives, Lord, that we would just commit further and further to know you, and so that naturally the words that come out of our lives will praise you and, and will build up other people. Father, I pray for each person here today that they would be fully committed to that, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.